The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM, where we always discuss all the latest gadgets, gizmos and technology that affects our lives. And what a busy week. What a busy month. It's the time of change. We're in the Ides of March, um, as they were called by many <laughs> famous people many, many, many years ago. But as summer comes to the north and a winter approaches us down south, we've got some good news for the cold nights. And unfortunately, some bad news around all the info uh, of all the people in South Africa that's out in the wind. But we'll be talking about that with Brendan Ambrose, who's the... Head of Privacy at Advanced Intellect, round about 11.20. And um, lots of stuff going on in that space. Popia is now becoming more and more relevant. But anyway, that we'll discuss later. But right now, the good news to keep us, you know, entertained in our long winter nights, which are not terribly long in, this, in South Africa, but still they get cold and we want to huddle up around the heater, the fire, or just the TV. And finally, finally, Disney has set the launch date for South Africa. Disney Plus is coming to South Africa on the 18th of May. And the pricing is pretty reasonable. It's coming to a lot of international countries. But the price is around about 110 Rand a month for the full street. What's well, actually exactly 119 Rand a month. Or you can get a little discount and pay 1,190 if you pay up front for the year which compares pretty well with the international pricing. And what it does bring, it brings all the Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, National Geographic, um, and some other entertainment from a brand called Star. But I mean, Boba Fett, The Mandalorian, a lot of us who've been finding alternate ways to access US TV have been watching this stuff. But now it will be absolutely available. And Disney has an incredible catalog of amazing Favorites, great for the kids, but great for the adults as well. The award-winning Cruella with Emma Stone, loved that movie. And also, and also some really interesting other stuff. So if you're into the whole streaming thing, and if you're not, it's time to get involved between all the between Netflix, um, Amazon, and now Disney. You are oh, so many options. Obviously, there's South African options as well, but generally. All the international stuff seems more and more available, and the pricing is reasonable. I mean, it's difficult to go out for a night at the movies for 119 Rand. So 119 bucks per month is not a terrible amount, and certainly there's a lot of exclusive and really good quality, con you know, sheer quality of uh, content that you can watch and subscribe to. So put that in your diary. You can probably go and sign up. You just go to DisneyPlus.com or .co.za and you should be able to at least get informed when it's going to come online. And then you can sign up as of the 18th of May, which I think is great news. The streaming, the whole streaming wars has definitely become uh, much more relevant. And we discussed our dear friends DSTV on their streaming platform. If you buy their streaming only, you can only watch it on one TV at a time which or one device at a time whereas disney actually allows you to watch 
four separate streams at the same time. So your kids can watch one thing. There are profiles as well. So you can set up a profile for the kids, for yourself, so they don't mess with your your choices. You don't mess with theirs. And you can both stream simultaneously. So more and more people are actually doing that and not using anything to do with a dish. But um, DSTV, I think, are going to have to dust off their app. One, it's flaky. And two, it's one concurrent stream. What happens if you want to watch the sport and, you know, the kids want to watch some something else? It's a, it's a real challenge. Anyway, on that note, more excitement on the um, Spectrum audit. It's done and dusted. 14 billion rand was raised by the government for Spectrum that was auctioned off to the various networks, including Telcom. And Telcom got a nice chunk of Spectrum, but... They still want to run the party. Um, I think I mentioned they were suing ICASA over the whole Spectrum thing. And guess what? They've decided not to withdraw um, their court case. And they still maintain that they have a problem with the digital dividend and the whole story. ICASA have come out with a a notice saying that um, they've moved the switch off of analog TV till the end of April, which was supposed to happen today. 31st of March. And by doing that, they essentially are freeing up the spectrum that uh, Telcom paid for. They paid 1.1 billion. I suppose they've paid, but who knows when their money will be transferred, but they're still going to court over it. So the court bid is going to be heard between the 11th and the 14th. And it, it it's still trying to say that, unfortunately, the competition was not fair and the spectrum below one gig that's the spectrum where the TV stuff sits, is not entirely free to use, so they're paying for something they can't actually use. I think it's a bit of a moot point. I'm not entirely sure what their argument's going to be because they did buy 20 megahertz of 800 mega, megahertz, 20 meg bandwidth of 800 megahertz spectrum, and that um, is where TV is, and that is going to be available once they switch off the analog transmitters. So... I'm not sure exactly where this is going. All I know, it's creating more and more uh, delays because, unfortunately, it's going until the court case is is stopped. I don't think they can actually issue the spectrum. So we'll see what happens. And um, I hope it gets sorted out really quickly because all the spectrum, the Telcom, Vodacom, MTN, and all the other guys have definitely bring down within a reasonable time, will definitely bring down the cost of communication. So let's just stay online and I will let you know when this whole thing changes. But it is, unfortunately, uh, another crazy, crazy, crazy delay. And before we get to Tech Talk Cafe, which is coming in a few minutes, I just want to mention something else that I've seen. The best part, there's been a lot of talk around the new chipsets and the new chips from um, Apple and the new M1 chipsets are really, really, really killing it as far as I'm concerned. The new the new products incorporating the M1 chipset from the iPad Air to the the um, MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro and the, the you know all the new products are really showing that Apple has done amazing work on the processor side. But Intel not to be forgotten. Intel is definitely not to be ignored. They are coming back strong. And they've just launched a whole new range um, 
of graphic mobile processors, which are going to come to the laptop and portable platforms. It's called Arc Graphics. I'm not going to go into the whole thing about what it does and what it doesn't do, but it certainly brings Intel processors on on PC and all laptops right up into the the Apple space, and we're going to see some great. Uh, I would say some great competition in that space, and that's brilliant. And just to set the scenario, I'm sure we're going to break for a quick commercial break, and then we're coming back with Tech Talk Cafe and Brendan Ambrose from Advanced Intellect. But essentially, there was a huge data breach recently, and about 58 million records of people in South Africa were grabbed and are now out in the wild. And we're going to discuss what happened, why it happened, and what you can do about it, both from a business point of view and a personal point of view. So we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. And welcome to the show, Brendan. It's good to have you back. And big, big, big news out in the market right now regarding a data leak, which is right in the area that you focus on. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. It's good to be back. Um, yeah, so, so I think maybe a bit of context, is that on the 19th of March, TransUnion um, alerted the regulator and the, well, the, the, the media. Okay. No, and that's an important distinction, which we can okay. discuss later. And they, it, was, uh, it was advised that they had about three, about 54 <clears throat> million data records, which were attacked by this uh, naughty forsec, a Brazilian, uh, a Brazilian, hacking operation um, and who got access to uh, the personal information of around about 3 million South Africans. That's currently what's, what's being told. And I mean, now TransUnion is, is obviously a credit bureau and any, any company who uh, utilizes some form of financial service or credit to their, to their clients will often use TransUnion to do that. So the, the information and the personal information which TransUnion has um, is very, very sensitive. And the information that's available to date is that TransUnion saying that access was gained by using the secure login credentials of its clients, of one of its clients. And um, on the 25th of March, the regulator, the information regulator, issued quite a scathing rebuke of TransUnion's handling of, of the data breach. I mean, it's incredibly complicated from TransUnion's side as well in that you want to be able to gain access to this, but you don't want to reopen the breach. And you want to be able to gain information, gain as much information as you can before you start alerting data subjects and letting people know. You also obviously have all your internal um, bureaucratic processes that you need to follow when it comes to data breaches. So it's a very complex situation at the moment. It's a very horrible place for, to be tr for TransUnion and for the data subjects particularly whose data has been breached. I got well, an email. Let's, let's just quickly explore that. I'm sorry to interrupt, yep. but I think it's quite, in, it's quite important that people understand what this all means. There is there is a law in the country, which we'll talk about in a bit, or a, a process around the protection of data. And TransUnion, being a credit bureau, you want to go and open an account, you want to buy a car, house, whatever it is, you generally get um, the, the provider of the finance uses TransUnion to check you out. So there's probably incredibly extensive data on the 3 million people um, on their system. So it affects everybody. This is not something that, you know, oh, someone's data. This is pretty broad. It affects every person in the anyone, country. 
I think that's that's fairly important to note is that it's it's probably one of the most severe data breaches we've had in South Africa. And there are two pieces of legislation that you correctly mentioned now, right? The first is the Protection of Personal Information Act, which under Section 22 is certain notification requirements which TransUnion has to follow to, uh, should they suffer or suspect that they suffered a data breach. The second is the Cybersecurity uh, Cyber Act, um, which is fairly new, actually, and makes it a criminal offense for these hackers to have hacked <clears throat> to have hacked uh, TransUnion. It also allows for foreign cooperation, which is very important. These guys seem to be based in Brazil. So I think it's it's important to look at it from two sides, right? The first side is, and the most important, is that of the data subjects. You're a data subject. You've had your information leaked. TransUnion are obliged, in terms of the Papier, to provide you with potential solutions and actions which you should take in order to protect yourself further. I got an email over the weekend, um, actually, no, sorry, it was it was earlier this week, um, which basically gave me the option to sign up for TransUnion's identity theft monitoring service for a period of one year. For free? For free, but <laughs> I mean... It's a bit of a selling, bro, a little bit of a selling opportunity, which may not hit the right it, notes, but still. It felt like opportunity and personally as a data subject now involved in this or ostensibly involved in this i mean that that's not really a notification in terms of the pop here that's just saying we think we've suffered it we they didn't confirm anything that your information's been in, included in the breach it's it's it was a very vague statement and that's what the regulator came down quite hard on transunion okay, um, that on the makes sense saying that this is insufficient you've not provided the data subjects with nearly enough information to make the right calls you don't and the regulators now set the deadline of 1 April for TransUnion to respond and actually give proper information as to what's happened and what the results of this could be. The challenge for TransUnion is that the, the breadth of the data which was uh, apparently obtained, and journalists have um, confirmed this because what this naughty Forsec did, and they're clearly a very sophisticated bunch, um, they gave the journalists sort of a... A taste of what information they had. And now they're threatening to release <coughs> President Ramaphosa's personal information and credit reports, same thing for Julius Malema. The potential knock-on effects are huge. So it's not, so from TransUnion's point of view, there's not just a, it's not just a regulatory issue they're facing, it's possibly a intellectual issue now, um, and an issue that... Delictual uh, so means that they could potentially be sued for damages. Yes, so that there's they're facing a, quite a quite a broad range of risks at the moment, and it sort of goes to show how important cybersecurity is in a data protection program, right? In that it's part of how you protect the personal information you have, and especially when you're companies like TransUnion who have such sensitive personal information, how seriously you need to take this. And that's not to say TransUnion didn't take cybersecurity seriously, and that's what's quite interesting is. Everything I've known about TransUnion, and I mean, they're not a client of mine, so I've only known them from the industry, um, is that they've taken cybersecurity quite seriously and they've, they've really not let this lapse. It's not something that they were, that they, from, from what I could tell, they were negligent about. It was something that a highly sophisticated group of hackers managed to get in. Now, let's see what the Apparently regulator... Apparently, they were working on this over a period of years. This wasn't an overnight sort of opportunistic hack. Yeah, so I think that's very important to keep in mind is that data protection and managing your data protection risk is not just about having the right, identifying the risks and having a couple of controls in place internally and having the right policies. It's having an actual understanding of what's happening on the ground and what's going on around the world of cybersecurity. 
in terms of black hat and white hat hackers. And what I mean with that is that you've got two types of hackers. You've got black hat hackers who hack for bad and evil, and you've got white hat hackers who essentially try to cut them off. The Sounds team, like right? a cowboy movie. It is. I think it's, uh, it sort of reminds me of Spy versus Spy. Um, in the mad, in the mad comics, um, whenever I say black hat and white hat hackers, but what's interesting, what I'm finding very interesting, is that this is sort of the information regulator's first serious data breach um, that they've addressed since uh, since the Papier came into effect, and it's going to be interesting over the next couple of weeks to see how they handle it. Now, up until now, I don't think they've used the powers that the that they've been given um, in terms of the Papier. And I think they're trying to work with TransUnion to see whether or not it's in anyone's interest to use those powers. But they're they're sort of keeping them in their back pocket, powers of audit, powers of um, of access. Yeah, I was just going to say, what are those powers? So there's been a data breach. The regulators got to take got to take action. What sort of mm. action be t- can be taken? Because one, the data is out there, so it's like closing the door after the the horse is bolted. Two, there may well be people who get, with all this type of information, get hacked or they get, you know, they get damaged by this information. And how do you deal with that? What can the regulator do? So the regulator has powers of um, investigation, which they which they can use to determine what happened. But it's all it's all looking backwards. All of their powers are to determine the length, breadth, and severity of a of a data breach. It's not something that they can assist with going forward. And I think the complication, especially from TransUnion side, is that one of the solutions which TransUnion proposed was that um, that we obviously sign up to their to their identity uh, identity theft monitoring service. Now, I don't think the regulator is going to find that sufficient because it's basically saying we've lost your personal information. Now, give me um, more personal information, so I can protect your personal information. It's a bit of it, but it also leaves. <laughs> that uh, sounds like really adding fuel to the fire. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird. It's a bit of a weird approach, but I understand why they take it. Right, in that they are saying, "Well, look, we've suffered this breach. It wasn't due to a, a security compromise, or at least I, at this point, assume or give them the benefit of the doubt. It wasn't due to a, a negligent security compromise on the part of TransUnion, but a sophisticated attack." And the only way we can reasonably protect it, and one of the biggest results, is that you might have your identity stolen. But it's also not dealing with sort of damages of, in, you know, having your information, having your private and personal information out there, such as your 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 credit records. It's a very specific and very interesting um, type of breach. And I think it's it's important to look online and to determine if your information's been if your information has been. Um, leaks and now that's, the issue- that's a very important point how how would we you me anyone out there business and personal how would yeah. we find out you'll get a you get a random email i got one from um absa saying that i've been part of a breach and transunion that i've been part of a breach but if i'm not informed about that how would i know or how could i check that i've potentially been part of a breach of this nature so that's honestly, part one and part two what so, can i do about it so from a personal point of view um as an individual there are a lot of these dark web monitoring tools which are there some of them are free i think um firefox has one um products like dashlane have one 
um, LastPass. And what that and does... That Apple's, Apple's password um, protection or password keeper also informs yeah. you if your passwords have been breached through the dark yeah. web search. So it's, it's that sort of stuff. In terms of... As an, so that's as an individual, right? What you can do about that really is just ensure that you're, you have two-factor authentication, that you obviously change your passwords... Um, and that you regularly change your passwords. Um, if your ID number has been breached, well, uh, normally I'd say TransUnion has a great <laughs> identity theft monitoring service, which I would highly recommend. <laughs> that is not funny, but it is funny. <laughs> so that's been, ironically, that's been that's been my view previously. Um, it's been quite tough now because, well, you can't really say it's time to go to TransUnion, but there are other services which monitor identity theft and it's worthwhile looking at those. From a company point of view, I think there's two things to take away from it. The first is that often it's not um, it's not an if it's a when situation, if you hold personal information that might be valuable to third parties. And that's not just having the right and robust procedures and policies internally and the right security systems, but it's also knowing how to handle a data breach and what your potential risk exposure is. Um, I think it's difficult when you're dealing with third parties as it always is, and often these data breaches go through third parties. So to have your third parties managed as best you can, because at the end of the day, you can't tell anyone else how to run their business, but choosing the right third parties, putting them through the paces beforehand, and then obviously managing access to smaller pieces of personal information. And I've always found that is a very practical and very useful way to handle these sort of breaches, or potential breaches, in that you don't put all your eggs and all your personal information eggs in one basket. You try and divide it up as much as you can. It's a much more practical way of looking at things from a risk mitigation point of view as opposed to putting in place the best security systems, because at some point they will likely be breached. So, but is, um, that, is that a practical thing for a company to do? Because I understand a lot of companies keep separate files for passwords as opposed to... Um, the files with all the data and everything on, but it, it, it's quite difficult if you're running a database to keep separate information truly separate. If the database is breached, out goes the data. Absolutely, but in terms of your database structuring, and I suppose this is a much more technical conversation, but in terms of your database structuring, you can keep certain information slightly disassociated or in terms of privacy law, it's called pseudo-anonymized, but the pop here, that's in terms of European privacy law. You can keep certain data pseudo-anonymized, where you have to put other data with it in order to identify a data subject. Um, okay. so, so there are off- techniques. I don't think we have to get into the technical side. Yeah. But there are yeah. techniques to, within a database to protect the data even further than, than simply having protection on access to the data. Correct. It's not just about having a high wall. It's also about what you put behind that wall. Um, you could, in a sort of, in a, in a practical um, analogy of it could be when you, after you jump over the wall, it's a bit of a maze to get to the safe. So it's while you can, and it's entirely possible, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be super easy. And again, I'm not saying it is in this point with TransUnion. The problem is that we don't know what's happened with TransUnion. We, all we know is that it's unauthorized access by a third party using a client's credentials. And I think that's also another point which deserves mentioning, right? In that when you're onboarding clients and third parties, it's important to get an understanding of sort of where they are. I mean, a service we offer is we do analyses, sort of high level analyses of a um, client or a 
suppliers, um, online online risk and threat. What do they call them? Threat vector assessments. I think there's very there's a I don't know if it's a marketing term or a technical term. But it's, they, it's, what, it's it's a it's definitely a technical marketing term because you're dealing with techies. They come up with these lovely terms that no one can quite get, but they sound cool. Yeah, it does sound kind of cool. And essentially, what it does, it gives it it gives an overview of sort of what your let's say your supplier has had their credentials leaked on the dark web um, or leaked online, and they have now had some issues with access. It'll give you that view, and I think having that is really important. And having that insight, you can mitigate quite a lot of risk in handling that. As for what you can do now with TransUnion, and I think why the regulator is so displeased, is that there's really not much you can do at the moment other than sort of sign up for the TransUnion. Um, I, well, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think we're running out of time. So I think, honestly, what this is a significant breach. Tons of information's out in the wild. Who knows when it'll be used? what can people practically do or be aware of? I know there's the standard stuff of two-factor authentication and being aware, but are there any sort of, uh, is there any so, advice you can give to just really be aware of what's going on and protect yourself? You need, you need to have a look at where your, where your accounts were logged in from, and you can do that in the security settings on, on um, Outlook, Outlook for Web and Gmail. You can see where, where accounts were logged into, um, how they were logged in and from what location. And if there, you see anything strange, you need to change your password and delete access from all other accounts. Um, in terms of identity theft, that's a very tough one. You just need to be aware of receiving any strange invoices, obviously um, getting any phone calls to verify things. And I think that's a point as a company, it, whenever you receive any sort of requests now that from your clients, it's worthwhile taking extra steps to verify that those are in fact your clients and that those are in fact the individuals that you're meant to be acting. So it's, it's, a, it's, it's going to require sort of concerted effort from both uh, commercial and, and individuals to ensure that this has a limited impact. But the truth is this will have an impact. So there will be some fallouts and there will be some issues and we'll, we'll see if there's going to be any form of regulatory fines issued by the regulator and how that's going to be handled. Um, but for the moment, it is actually... Well, there is not enough information out there to accurately to accurately um, identify what risks are imminent, and that's the, been the regulator's biggest concern um, with the transunion breaches that they have not provided that information and they have not gone to sufficient detail as to say what um, what the risks are, um, and they've got until tomorrow to provide that. So keep an eye on the news. I think it's very important. That'll be interesting. That'll be very interesting to find out because I think that's the exact problem that everybody's you know wow there's been a breach but so what and i think that's interesting that they've been put on notice to actually tell us what the so what means and how it's going to impact yeah. us going forward yeah so again obviously look out for any impacts from transunion any impacts any any communications from transunion any communications from financial services institutions and follow that right so you would have received something from absa um, most financial institutions are now assessing, and this is the problem, is that they can't tell whether um, your information's been released. So it's a bit of a knock-on effect that TransUnion <laughs> That's has interesting. Caused. Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt yeah. again, but our time is up. Thanks so much for joining us, Brendan. We're going to have to have a quick break, but we will follow up on the story, and we'll definitely see what TransUnion have to say when they deliver the information that the regulator needs tomorrow. But thanks for joining us, and we'll chat soon. Cheers.
Thanks. Bye. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And before we get stuck into my gadget, or should I say gadgets of the week, and we're talking soundbars, it's a big thing. Lots of flat TVs out there, no no room for good speakers, and um, you need some extra sound for your new streaming TV. Now, moving on, big topic. A lot of people have been talking to me about it. It's way too big for, for the couple of minutes that I have now. But essentially, new flat screen TVs are getting ever thinner with OLEDs being super thin down to a couple of millimeters. But even the large screen LCDs are extremely slim and good looking. They're huge, huge monolithic blimps in the middle of your lounge, playroom or TV room. And they are really pretty slim and pretty good looking. The one challenge around anything that is super slim is where do you put a speaker? A speaker works according to the laws of physics, by moving air. And the more air you move, and the bigger your speaker, the better your bass, firstly. And bass is fundamental, especially if you're watching these big action movies and these bombs and driving. But it also changes the timbre and the tone of voices. Um, and just sheer ability to put these speakers in a place that makes sense. Sony, a couple of years back, used them as a feature down the sides of their TVs, and that worked extremely well. Now Sony are building the speakers into the screen itself. It's actually an LG innovation, but all the new Sony TVs, uh, the OLED ones, have got actual speakers built into the screen, which you can't see, and the sound goes through the screen, and um, the voices actually move around following someone who walks on the screen. It's quite amazing tech. But that's another story. The sound is pretty good. But essentially, those limitations make the need for better sound um, in your TV room ever more important. A lot of people used to have big speakers and sound and, and all sorts of, you know, surround sound equipment and whatnot. And that worked really well with sound, big sound processes. They're still available. They're just very expensive. But what has grown of late and what has really become quite a big deal are sound bars. And sound bars have become the new sound things that you need to have. And they range, there's just a huge range of them. I mean, go and do a little look at any TV store, go and have a look online at Take A Lot or anywhere, and you'll see there are a ton of sound bars. But what I've been playing with now the last couple of weeks is some high-end ones and a couple of really low-end ones. And it makes a huge difference to your listening experience on a TV. Not only um, if you're listening loud and you're listening to a, a movie, but just even the news and just to play some music in the house, it makes a lot of sense. The benefit of a sound bar is generally it can be mounted beneath the TV or underneath the TV in some way or on the wall if you're, um, if you um, work, if it works that way. But they slim, they simple, and most of them incorporate multiple speakers with all sorts of features like Dolby and you name it. And you can get a pretty good soundstage out of a simple bar. And it's all in one. There are no wires. There's no mess. Rear speakers for surround sound are often wireless. Subwoofers can also be wireless, but sometimes are wired in. So a sound bar becomes really an important piece of equipment that I think is pretty central to the performance. Now, being a high-end guy myself, I've been playing with something called the NAIM, N-A-I-M, Muzo 2. 
Now, the name Muso 2 is a distinctly high-end piece of gear. Name as a brand, it's a British brand, are long known for their high-end gear, which is very expensive and very, very high quality. And this is their sort of, <laughs> I'll call it their first consumer item. When I say consumer, it's still very expensive. It's selling in South Africa around about 30,000 Rand for a sound bar. But the question is, is it a sound bar or is it a high-end audio um, product in a box? And for the most part, to cut a long, long story short, and I'm going to switch from the very expensive name all the way down to a JBL soundbar at three two thousand three hundred rand, which gives some pretty good results. But essentially, my time that I've spent with a name Muso Two, it's M U S O, the Muso Two, um, and there's a Muso Mini, which is pretty much the same thing with less speakers, has been pretty eye-opening. Having spent a lot of time with high-end audio, you get used to the sheer clarity, punch, and detail and smoothness that that only really high-end gear can offer. And the name absolutely delivers. It has an app, which it must do. It is Bluetooth enabled. It can take an HDMI cable direct from your TV, so it can play sound directly from that. Um, has a fabulous science fiction-y looking knob on the top which can control everything, but the app is the best way to do it. And you can stream high-quality music directly. So the music streaming from any one of the major music streaming platforms, I'm not going to mention them now, works extremely well. It's got Google Chromecast, it's got Apple AirPlay 2, and it's pretty much as comprehensive as you can imagine with regard to the sources. So if you're looking for an all-in-one, which gives you incredible power, plays incredibly loud, even in very big rooms, with a clarity and a um, ability to separate out the instruments. So from classical music to jazz to, you know, hip hop, you name it, it, it is one of the most amazing sounding units. The build quality is a combination of aluminium and steel. It is really, really well built. It's got a whole ton of speakers, all done in collaboration with Focal. Now, Focal is a French speaker manufacturer that makes some really high-end speakers. And it's just amazing. You get 450 watts of digital amplification. And it is pretty amazing without a subwoofer, how much bass, how much clarity, how smooth the voice is, and how well it works. Now, I've been told I have to have a quick break for our adverts, and I'll be back with a quick wrap-up. And an option that is not nearly as expensive, the new J. Well, it's not new. It's actually been around a while, the JBL soundbar. So I'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, and we're back. Now, back to the Muso 2. In a wrap-up, this is real high-end sound in a soundbar. The soundbar's heavy, incredibly well-made, has all the apps and all these sort of modern tech bits that you can imagine. It plays extremely loud, but musicality is what it's all about. There's, you can, there is a separate subwoofer available at high cost, but generally, as it stands, the bass is more than adequate. It's solid, it's deep, not quite as explosive as separate units with subwoofers. But overall, if you're looking for real high-end gear in a very neat, very clean, very sleek package, this does the trick pretty much better than anything else I've heard in the soundbar space. If you go into the Bose and you go to all the other devices out there, they are all very good, but nowhere near as good 
from a pure sonic point of view as the Muso 2, but obviously at somewhat lesser price. But another one I've been playing with that I've really enjoyed. Now, this doesn't come with a subwoofer at this price. It's around about 2,300 Rand. It's available from Loot and from um, any one of the online places. But it is the JBL Soundbar Studio Soundbar with Bluetooth. So it's a Bluetooth speaker, but it does connect to your TV and it sounds, it improves the sound of the average TV immensely. So it's a really easy spend with regard to, to what it is. You can spend a little bit more and get subwoofers, but generally an active subwoofer will jump the price to anywhere between five to 10. And then when you get into the higher end gear, you're talking between five and 20,000 Rand for a really good sound system. But I think more and more, if you're just looking for something that'll take your, your sound for speech and for the odd movie that you watch and stream to the next level, something like the JBL Studio soundbar really works extremely well. It just takes the sound way ahead of what any of the small, thin, super sexy TVs can do. But if you're looking for something really good, you're going to have to go for some of the more expensive um, soundbars out there. And there are many of them. I've played with only a few. I've played with the big G JBL. I haven't really had time. But the, the Sony ones are really generally good. Another one that unfortunately is quite expensive in the 20 grand range is the Sonus Arc. And the Sonus Arc is a pretty new device. It's expensive, comes with a subwoofer. Um, and no, it doesn't come with a subwoofer, interestingly. That's an extra cost. But it's also quite expensive. So adding a soundbar makes a huge difference to the quality and the experience that you have with your TV. And as we stream more, as I said, right when we opened the show, with all the, the big blockbusting things um, that are coming on TV in high-end 4K video with Dolby Digital Sound, it's an absolute must to try to improve the sound of your TV and uh, bring a little bit more excitement to your viewing uh, over the next couple of months. And on that note, I've been told my time is up. It's time to wrap up until the same place, same time next week. Right here on High FM, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk.